This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that can have an impact on your career. Today, we're talking with career and communications expert Matt Pritchard. If you haven't read his latest book, Land Your Dream Job Anywhere, you may have heard of Max List, an online platform, an Oregon and Washington State jobs board that's just packed with job search resources. Mac has built two thriving businesses on the strength of his professional network, and he's taught thousands of people how to grow their careers by building relationships with other people. Mac will offer tips for growing your network and share suggestions for surviving the hiring process, whether you're looking for a job or trying to recruit a great new employee. Mac, I know you are a widely respected jobs expert, and I'm eager to get into talking about your wonderful book, your terrific book, Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. But before we do that, before we hear some of your tips, I'm intrigued by your career and how you became a career expert. It it, it sounds like you started out in a very di- different direction, and then you were a communications director, and now you've got this amazing collection of jobs and projects. How, how did it all come to be? Well, there is a constant theme that runs through my career, Bev. I have focused on issues I care about or uh, wanting to make a difference in the community where I live and work. And I have been in the workforce now for 40 years. I began when I graduated from the University of Iowa. I grew up in the Midwest wanting to do three things, work on election campaigns, uh, get paid to make a, a living as a writer, and uh, to work on human rights advocacy. And I've been fortunate to do all of those uh, in my career. Today, I run a public relations company that serves nonprofits and foundations but along the way, I was a, a speechwriter for a governor of Oregon. I was the first spokesman for Boston's Big Dig. I uh, worked in election campaigns in Massachusetts and Oregon. But again, it was uh, I wanted to make a difference. And I, I think that's a common need all of us have. We want our work to have purpose and meaning. And that doesn't mean that you have to work at a nonprofit uh, or uh, in, in government. There, any job can provide uh, purpose. You just have to figure out how to do that. One of the things I, I noticed from uh, listening to your podcast and um, reading your book is that you talk to job seekers with compassion. You just exude the sense that you know getting a job can be a tough process and looking for a job can mean a tough time. And you're there to help. Now, what, one of the things I was wondering about your career is, is did you develop the expertise in the beginning and the sensitivity that you have for job seekers through some of your own experiences? Service has always been an important part of my career. It's, it's a value I learned from my parents and in the community where I grew up in eastern Iowa. It's part of my education, too, at Catholic schools. But I learned about the importance of uh, j- mastering job hunting as a skill and how hard it can be to be out of work, Bev, because 
I've been unemployed three times. I know what it's like to cash that last unemployment check. I did it. I had that experience once after six months of unemployment, and I had it a second time where I was within one check of uh, exhausting my unemployment benefits. So I, I know what it's like to be out of work for a long period. I know what it's like to nobody wants to do this, but to go home and tell your your partner that you've lost your job. And those experiences, I think, not only uh, have taught me compassion because I've walked in those the the shoes of people who are out of work. It's also taught me the importance of mastering job hunting as a skill because we're all going to change jobs a number of times in our career, maybe five, 10, or even 15. We're going to have to get good at job hunting if we want to have a successful career and a, and a stable one. So why not do it earlier in your career, uh, right at the start, than do it the hard way, which is candidly, Bev, the way I did it. I, yeah. I didn't really get good at job hunting until I was in my mid-30s. Uh, so it's it's a big part of our work at MaxList and, and what drives us. So tell us about MaxList. It started as a an online jobs board. You were, you were, it feels to me, ahead of your time. How did it begin and what motivated you to create it? I had finished a stint working in Oregon State Government. I'm talking to you from Portland, and I wanted to stay in touch with my colleagues in state government. I'd been a spokesperson for several different state agencies, and I'd worked in a governor's office. So, Bev, nobody complains about getting a job posting, and I knew it was important to network and remain in touch with colleagues. As postings crossed my desk after I took a position uh, 17 years ago in Portland, I would forward them to a few dozen names, and uh, these were people I wanted to remain in contact with. The list grew very slowly, but after seven years, it had become a part-time job. And I, in order to do it more effectively, I turned it into a newsletter. Then it really took off. And today, it's a company that employs six people. And we, in addition to a job board, we also offer lots of education and training materials about job hunting because most jobs are never posted on any job board, not ours, Craigslist, or any of the tens of thousands of sites out there. They're part of what's called a hidden job market. People who have successful careers figure out how to navigate that market, and we want to help them do that at MaxList. Your uh, platform has lots of good information, and I want to emphasize it's good information no matter where you're located. Like um, your book title says, your dream job anywhere. But um, what people may want to know is, is is there a cost for this? Uh, if you're employing six people, people, are you doing it because you're selling these services, or how does that all work? The revenue for the company comes from sales of job listings to employers. It's free to look at those listings. Employers do pay to post them on the site, which attracts about 40,000 people a month. We do sell some of our educational materials. There are several courses. Uh, You can, uh, the books have a modest cost. You can buy them on Amazon, though we do make them available to libraries uh, uh, in Oregon and across the country because we know job seekers are on a budget. The website articles and webinars, uh, we do offer them uh, for, for free. Uh, and again, 
you know, if we're, we do that in order to be of service to job seekers, candidly, it's, it's also good for the business because employers want to connect with the kinds of uh, readers that we have for our website and the listeners for our podcast. And as you say, uh, the content we provide it, you can use it in Portland, Oregon, or we have, or anywhere across the country or indeed the world, the, the techniques of job hunting uh, uh, can are, are, are universal. And in fact, our, our podcast, and this was a big surprise for us, Bev, it, about a quarter of its audience is overseas and uh, 85% of the downloads are outside of Oregon, our home state. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I have a sense that you have built a very broad community. And I think it's partly because your information is so accessible. All of the writing, all of the uh, speaking on the podcast is kind of helpful, practical, not theoretical, just very, very useful, clear information. So I guess it's not surprising that people from such a, uh, a broad uh, geographic area are, are um, learning from your tips. And wh- one of the themes that you really keep going back to in a lot of your work, and I, I totally agree with you, is that networking, 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 you know, that's what you have to keep doing if you want to build a career and if you want to navigate transitions again and again. But, you know, I'm a, a coach. I work with um, lots of um, folks um, at executive level or all kinds of levels. And and I talk about networking with them. And, and sometimes I get a lot of pushback. I, there are people who think networking is something creepy where you go to meetings you don't want to go to and hand out your cards to people who don't want them. But that's not what networking is, really. What, what's your definition? What are you talking about when you talk about networking? Well, let's pause for a moment and think about that image you touched on there, because I think you're right when you say the word networking. People do think of that event that you dread going to. It probably is happening at a function room at a airport holiday inn, and there's always somebody inside that function room who thinks that good networking means passing out and collecting as many business cards as possible. And as you say, that that's not true. Good networking is about relationships. And we all have relationships in our lives. And we, when we think about our career and how networking can help, we need to think about the professional relationships that are important. And so it's not only about meeting people and asking for help, Good networking is also about being of service to others. So what does that look like in practical terms? I, I think good networkers do three things, Bev. They, uh, first of all, they, they go to events in their industry and they set modest goals when they go to those events, but it's about connecting with people and listening to them and building a relationship. Uh, we, they also volunteer uh, they get involved in organizations in either their field or in their community, and doing so allows them to be of service to others, but it also allows them to show their best side because they're if they are volunteering, they're doing something that they care about or uh, they're using a skill that they they love to uh, they they enjoy very much. So in addition to going to industry events and and uh, and volunteering, 
Good that workers also ask for informational interviews uh, or they make time to see people who ask them for informational interviews. And above all, good networkers, they give without any expectation of getting anything in return. And when you do that, you will be amazed at how much more you get in return for what you gave. Uh, they go So good networkers don't keep score. They, they, they are of service to others. I think that also uh, good networkers don't think they have to go to a certain category of place or meeting. Good networkers make it a habit, even if they don't feel like it that day, to get out there, whether it's to a local community group or meeting up with old college friends or whatever it is they want to do. Even though they might not be in the mood, they go out there and they're open to other people, right? They are, and much of this we do as part of our daily lives. Uh, there are times when you need to be strategic about your networking, uh, and that's when you need to think about your professional goals. And for example, if you want to switch sectors and say move from the corporate to the nonprofit world, you're going to have to build a network in that new sector, and y- you need to be strategic and thoughtful. So you need to take time, for example, to identify the the most important professional groups, say, in the nonprofit world in your community. Uh, And then you need to go to some of those events or perhaps volunteer at those organizations. And as you do that, you'll build relationships and you'll get insights and understanding that will help you make that transition. But as you say, all of us have networks. And I'm glad you brought that up because often I meet with job seekers and they say, well, I, I don't know anyone. And of course, we all do. Uh, we just don't often realize the value of the the professional value of the relationships we have. And we struggle with how to approach people. It feels awkward to ask them for help uh, with our careers or with the job search. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I had a client recently who had a terrific resume, was but was getting off to a slow start in making a transition when she came to me. And what I encouraged her to do was just kind of get out there. And we talked about a variety of things she could do. And she decided to be pretty methodical and get out to places where there were other people. And some of her networking was going to be focused on industry activity. And some of it was going to be just random activity to get out there. And sure enough, she got two offers and pretty quickly one offer came as a result of very methodical, strategic industry networking. The other one was she was just making an effort to talk to people, and she started chatting with a casual contact at the cafe at her gym and heard about a job that was her dream job and had an offer within a week of that casual conversation. So I I, I think you do all of the strategic things, but you also know that life can be random, and just getting out there, right? And sometimes there's surprise connections in places you don't expect them. Absolutely. I think about a lady who was part of a panel discussion we had at MaxList some months ago. It was about careers in nonprofits. Her dream was to work for an, or- an organization called Mercy Corps. They're based here in Portland. They do disaster relief all around the world. She was in her about five to seven years into her career, late 20s, 
she didn't know anyone at Mercy Corps, but she made a point of telling people that she was doing a job search and she wanted to identify opportunities at Mercy Corps and she would then go on to ask, do you know anyone there? So she eventually got a meeting with someone at Mercy Corps because she was at a family barbecue. Somebody's cousin had an accountant who worked at Merce, with Mercy Corps who agreed to see her and said, oh, uh, you should go speak to this person. And there was an internship. And the internship uh, that she got eventually led to a job offer. So that happened through a casual connection. But it happened because she was clear about what she wanted. She told people what she was looking for. And she asked for help. So that suggests some things you're going to have in mind if you are going to a strategic event, like a convention or something, and you want to be prepared. Um, how would you like advise somebody who's, who's going off to a convention and is a little nervous about networking? What would, what would be their to-do list before they go into some of those rooms? Think about the challenges you face before you go to that convention and the kind of people who might help you overcome those challenges. So if you're new to the field and you uh, you want to um, identify opportunities, say you're a recent graduate uh, among local employers for people with your skills and experience, in your conference, you might set a goal before you go to the event of saying, okay, I'm going to have two or three conversations with people. Uh, and what I'm looking for advice on is help in identifying organizations that offer entry-level positions for recent graduates like me and get specific suggestions about people I might reach out to inside those organizations to have an informational interview where I could learn more about their culture, uh, what they look for when they're hiring new graduates, uh, what makes candidates especially attractive to hiring managers there. So it, you, you should look at the conference schedule, identify uh, events where perhaps the people who work at the companies that most interest you are speaking and go up to them afterwards, have a conversation with them, uh, introduce yourself, say you'd like to learn more ab ab about those organizations, and uh, ask if they might have time either during the event or after the conference is over to, to meet perhaps at their office for a, a meeting that might run 15 to 30 minutes to help you to discuss those things and how and to get their advice. Um, it, that's a very structured, focused way of doing it. I think also when you go to conferences, when you're at social events, often there are happy hours, uh, you should be clear about your professional goals and what you're looking for advice on. And when you meet people, uh, you don't want to launch directly into that. You want to connect with them and get to know them a little, but be open to the possibility of having a conversation like that and have a plan at hand ready to do that. I think that's good advice. And, you know, sometimes it's good to have a plan, or I sometimes think of it as a, as a game in mind. When you're going to be in events that are not business events, they're not career events, but you just want to get to know people. Years ago, I was in a 
a new job in a different industry, and I had to go to lots of events where I didn't know a soul, and I thought, nobody wants to know me. So I played a game, which worked out pretty well, and that was I could not leave the event until I could get three people to tell me whether or not they had any pets. And I did that because I was a dog lover, and I thought that, that might be a connection. And it was easy uh, to say, oh, I've got to go home and let my dogs out as a way to raise it. And I um, was methodically getting to know people. I knew all the dog owners pretty soon, but it gave us a way to bond and just a way to remember their name, them to remember me. And I was This was slow building, but it, it actually got me off to a, a pretty fast start in that community. So I think having something in mind that you can talk about or a way to um, enter into conversations in a social setting, that, that can be a pretty good practice too. It can, and I think it's always good to have conversation starters in your back pocket. Because remember, most people, that when you walk into that room, they often feel just as awkward as you might. And they will welcome the fact, particularly if they're standing by themselves uh, at a social event, at a professional conference, they'll welcome you coming up and engaging them in conversation. So having a few conversation starters uh, uh, can help make that happen. Some of my favorites are you know, what, what inspired you to come to the conference or have you been here before? Uh, if, it's a, if it is a conference that attracts people from around the country, Ask folks if they've traveled far. Listen, uh, and you'll find topics that you can talk about. And, of course, people – this is human nature. We're all this way. We all love to talk about our, ourselves. So if someone asks several questions about our, our, our profession, our company, where we work, uh, uh, our interests, that's – we're going to enjoy that, and it's also – much easier to talk about ourselves, and that can help build those connections. It's a long game, Bev. Uh, if you're in an industry, you're for some time you're going to keep meeting the same people over the years, and and you want to focus on on them as people. And those relationships can pay professional dividends down the road. But again, it starts with having a genuine interest in others and thinking about ways that you can be of help to them as well before you ask for help yourself. Well, being of help is always a good mindset. And um, you mentioned earlier, volunteering can be a terrific way uh, to meet a new circle of people. It, it's also a great way to pick up a skill you don't already have. Uh, I think some people underestimate the value of volunteering just in terms of building a resume, aside from building your network. And I've noticed a lot of people are reluctant to mention it on their resume or they don't put it down on their LinkedIn site where there's an opportunity to. How, how do you feel about um, talking about your volunteer work as, as part of your job search? I think it's very important, especially if you're making a, a career change. When you volunteer, as you mentioned a moment ago, you can sign up to help an organization and it gives you a chance to develop a skill you might not already have or just haven't had a chance to use in your career professionally. But if you uh, volunteer and put that skill to good use with a, a, an organization, yes, absolutely describe it on your LinkedIn. 
profile and, and your resume because that's just as valuable as, as getting paid uh, to, to do that work. I, I, I think volunteering, some of the other benefits include, particularly if you're out of between jobs, uh, when you volunteer for an organization, that allows you to fill a gap on your resume. And when we're between work, between jobs, we're often not at our best. So when we have an opportunity to either learn a new skill or use a skill that we love to put to use, that allows us to be at our best. And again, employers, when they see that uh, you've, during a, a time of unemployment, that you've put something down uh, about your volunteer experience, they probably won't even ask you if you were paid or not. And it takes away the issue of the, the, the resume gap, and it allows you to showcase a skill that you already either had or that you wanted to uh, to acquire. Some of the other benefits of volunteering include giving you the chance to either build a, a network in your profession or in a sector where you want to move into. And when you do that work, it shows others what you can do. And they're going to think of you for opportunities uh, involving those skills. Uh, it's also a great way to connect with leaders in that field, again, because you're showing folks what you can do. You're not telling them. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of volunteering, especially during times of unemployment, but throughout your career. One caveat about volunteering I'd add, Bev, is often, especially when people are out of work, they'll volunteer. Some people will volunteer, uh, particularly in the nonprofit world, in the hope that that might lead to a job offer. And that almost never happens. Uh, so be clear about what you want to get out of your volunteer experience before you sign up. It's about managing intent sometimes, isn't it? That you, you need to go into a situation thinking, I want to serve here, I want to meet people, I want to be helpful, and I want to learn. And, and keep focused on what your, your intent is and not delude yourself about what's going to happen. Is that right? Absolutely. And if we're talking about people who are between positions and are volunteering perhaps several days a week in order to make contacts or get skills or frankly just to get out of the house um, again be clear about those intentions and what you want to get from the experience uh, otherwise you're setting yourself up for disappointment we'll be back with Bev after this brief message In a world where impact matters, the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University offers innovative solutions to challenges. It's ranked as the 39th most innovative public service school in the nation, and it's in the top 100 U.S. News and World Report Best Public Affairs Grad Schools. The Voinovich School is a catalyst for regional, state, and national impact in entrepreneurship, energy, and the environment. With 11 full-time faculty members and 60 professional staffers, the Voinovich School partners with nonprofit organizations, governments, and the private sector to solve problems. It's the home of the master's programs in public administration and environmental studies. 
students engage in real-world learning and networking to bring their ideas to life. For more information, visit ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. Well, it's a tough process out there, and, and it's, it's not easy, as we started out by saying, to be a job seeker. But there's also a lot of um, hassle for people who are trying to hire the best candidates. You've talked about how the, the process is just inherently flawed, that it's, it's, it shouldn't be so hard to find a great candidate, particularly with all of the great new tools like LinkedIn. Do you have any suggestions for employers who are trying to connect with great candidates, how, what's the what's the best way these days? If you're not an HR type but you've got an opportunity, how do you go about getting the word out and, and finding a great candidate? Well, it is ironic, isn't it? Because today it's never been easier to apply for a job, yeah, but and it's never been easier to get lots of applications. But I don't think anyone employers or applicants are, are happy with today's system. In fact, I think the dissatisfaction is probably higher than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and I, I think for employers, there are some simple steps they can take to get better results when they do hire that will also make the hiring process easier for applicants and allow applicants and employers to connect with each other uh, in a faster, less painful way. I think first for hiring managers, they need to write their job descriptions in plain English. Uh, a lot of postings out there are filled with bureaucratic jargon, and the problem with that is it makes it hard for applicants to understand exactly what the employer wants. That means, as a result, the employer often hears from candidates that they don't want to get applications from. So plain, simple English in a, in a job posting could uh, help uh, reduce that problem. Yes. The second yeah. one is include a salary range. Uh, there's research out there, survey data, that shows applicants say they're much more likely to apply for a job if it includes a salary range. And when you do list the range, it, it helps you attract the most qualified candidates. You're not going to hear from people who you can't afford to hire, and you're also not going to hear from people who uh, just uh, don't have the level of experience that that salary range requires. That saves applicants time, too. I think a, a third important uh, way employers can make the hiring process easier is to let candidates know what, what's happening. Too many employers don't respond to, to applications. They, they don't even acknowledge it, that they've received them. And it's embarrassing, but some employers don't even let people they invite in for interviews or perhaps have phone conversations with know the result of the process and, and what's happening. Hiring managers really need to get a lot better at, at over-communicating. And the value to their company of doing this is when someone has an experience with uh, a, a company as an applicant, they're having an experience with that company's brand. And if it's a negative one, they're going to tell their friends and families and colleagues about that. So it, 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 it's, uh, it's good for the company as well. 
And here's one last bonus suggestion. It's when you do invite finalists in for interviews, share the questions in advance. Uh, people process information differently. Some of us think fast on our feet. Others don't. Uh, but there's no right way to, to process the information. You, you will get the best insights into an applicant's strengths if you share the questions in advance. Now, that's interesting. I think that's not done very often, is it? It's not. Uh, I, I do hear occasionally of employers who do it. Uh, I first became aware of it when I was uh, working with a hiring manager on a selection process some years ago. And and I found that uh, you sitting on committees with that manager that we got much better answers from the applicants and much better insights into how they thought uh, when we did that. And it also created a lot of goodwill. Some people, it just put candidates at ease. Uh, they, they knew what to expect. And again, you want in these interviews to draw people out and see their best side. You shouldn't treat it like a cross-examination. So it doesn't have to be so tough for everybody. If Again, back to the word uh, compassion for everybody in the process can lead to actually better matches, better selections, uh, better experiences for everybody, and better marketing and goodwill if you are responsive to people's needs and interests. Absolutely. And when you're hiring in a, for your company, chances are you're going to keep running across those same applicants in your field. Uh, you're going to know them, and you do want to treat them the way you'd like to be treated when you're applying for a job. I think employers struggle with this. I, I understand some of the objections they have to the suggestions I just made. You know, the challenge, of course, with salary ranges is this. If you publish a salary range, somebody doing that same job in the company, particularly in larger organizations, may discover that they're earning a lot less than uh, someone else. And... But in the long run, I think salary transparency is good for the for the uh, company, and it's it's good for applicants. Well, transparency and information about the the process of of um, the job search and and hiring, it, there's certainly a lot more out there than there used to be, including through podcasts like this. I, one of the interesting things you and your team have done is you've created a a guide for career podcasts. Um, Top Career Podcast Guide. How, how many career podcasts are out there now, would you say? We identified 78, and they came to us through recommendations of listeners, uh, other podcast hosts. We did uh, research on iTunes and on, on the Internet. Uh, these are shows that teach people how to look for work and how to manage their careers successfully. Uh, and as you say, there's so much information out there uh, about job hunting and career management uh, today compared to, say, 15 or 20 years ago. Podcasts are one of the best ways to get that information out. And so one of the challenges, if you are a podcast listener, and, and you as a host know this, Bev, iTunes now has, I think, 550,000 shows in the U.S., so the, to find those shows can, can take some effort. And we publish the guide 
to help our listeners and, and people in our community, but job seekers in general, find those shows easier and faster because there's great content in those programs that can help people uh, get a, a great raise, uh, have a less painful job hunt, or figure out how to get their next promotion. That's that's a great tip. You've made things easier for a lot of people. Do you have any uh, final tip today for people who are either uh, searching for a job or just trying to bring some new energy to their career? Well, for job seekers, I would say this. Be kind to yourself, uh, especially if you're between jobs. Recognize it can take a couple of months or, or even longer to find a new position. That's normal. It's not you. And I would also say to job seekers, think about how you use your time. There are estimates out there that as many as 80% of all jobs that are open are never posted on any job board anywhere. And I run a job board, um, and I, I think that statistic is is real. So those positions get filled by word of mouth. They're part of what's called the hidden job market. And most of us, though, when we're looking for work, spend 100% of our time looking at job boards. And that means we're missing out on some of the best jobs out there. So step away from the computer and get out and talk to people. Go to industry events, do informational interviews, volunteer in your field, and ask people for help. I think if you do that as a job seeker, you're going to be amazed at, at what happens next. For people who are thinking about their careers, get good at job hunting as a skill uh, because you're going to have to master it sooner or later. And the sooner you do, and all of us are likely to be in the workplace for 40 years, uh, Bev, the sooner you do, the more rewarding a career you'll have. And I'll add just one more tip on top of that, Mac, and that's that if you have a habit, a practice of trying to help other people, if they want to get advice or a referral or something, if you have a practice of, of trying to say yes to as many of those requests um, as you can, then when it's your turn, when you're the person who needs help, you'll you'll feel better about it because you know that uh, people are happy to do it and, and you have a, a list of people who um, are your starting point. So giving help, I think, is, is part of the process too. Well, Mac, I think your tips are fabulous. Um, and I want to reiterate networking, networking, networking. That's something that you are very persuasive about. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Today we've been talking with jobs and communications expert Mac Pritchard about his latest career book, Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. Today's career tip is that networking isn't just some creepy exercise where you hand out your business cards to strangers. Growing your network means that you understand that people do need other people. And success in so many things may require a rich and varied circle of relationships with other folks. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. 